So definitely there are a lot of challenges here because uh, there is so much that you can read and gauge and understand when you're sitting in front of a person in a room, right? And vice versa, you know, the other person can read and gauge and understand you better. Trust is a powerful thing. It has the power to create and to destroy. But like with all other things human, there's a catch. Sometimes it defies all logic. As real-world interaction becomes a remote prospect, trust becomes even more elusive. Collaboration now means to resist the very symbol that stands for it, the handshake. Team huddles, pats on the back, in-person brainstorming sessions are out, at least for a while. Are we in trouble? Is trust under threat? Welcome to Season 2 of Habits Matter. In the time we were away, the only thing that hasn't changed at all is your host, me. Hi, I'm Shreyasi Singh, founder and CEO of Harappa Education, an online learning institution powering your world of work with good habits. In this episode, meet three incredible guests. A Padmashi recipient, a top MBA-turned storyteller, and an executive coach. They're giving us the lowdown on everything trust. Up ahead, how to build trust online, the importance of vulnerability, the science of trust, and what's the one thing that makes people throw logic out of the window when trusting others? Hey there, this is Ravi, and I'm the founder at Story Roots, where I help leaders uh, and managers across business, social, uh, education, across sectors improve their work outcomes using the power of storytelling techniques. We're in a new paradigm of socializing, a turning point in the digital revolution. Everything we do is online, including building relationships with other people. How can we connect with others on a deeper level in the absence of face-to-face interaction? Yeah, so how can you build trust um, through online interactions? It's, It's obviously not as easy as doing it uh, offline but there are ways right so if i had to kind of you know say one simple tip for anybody who's trying to build trust with uh, uh, an audience online i would say keep your video on that at least helps the audience a little bit to say okay uh, you know is your uh, is your face is your voice is your um, you know, are your gestures in congruence with what you're saying and there are a few other benefits that are there of, you know, of being uh, visible, not just audible. So one is you tend to build trust with people if you get to know them better. Because if I just don't know you at all and then, you know, I'm just hearing a voice with the photo, then maybe I just know what you're saying, but I don't know anything else about you. Trust is not just a question of exchange of content. It's about exchange of each other's context. You know, are you smiling when I smile? Are you nodding when I speak? And vice versa. Hi, uh, I'm Deepak Jairaman. I'm an executive coach and I work with leaders uh, largely to answer two key questions, where to go and how to grow. I also curate a podcast called Play to Potential, where I interview people from different backgrounds on three themes, leadership, transitions, and careers. Turning our video on is the closest we can get to -to face-to-face interaction. The one big difference, however, is the setting. You aren't in an office or a cafe 
but your own home, an intimate space very personal to you. And now you're letting others in. This can feel invasive, but it has its benefits. One cool advantage of working from home is that people can actually see you in your own personal space. Sometimes it may be useful to to actually get them to know you better. And so, for example, when I do calls, when I do you know sessions online, uh, this it happens in this room. This is my study, and uh, for those, of course, you can't see this, but. Right behind me in my study, there is a huge map, a world map. And, um, you know, anybody who's seeing that is looking at me, but then, you know, everybody's thinking at the back of my mind, gosh, that is a huge map. So I acknowledge it. And then I tell them, you know, guys, I don't know, let me acknowledge the elephant in the room. I do have this huge map at the back and no, these are not my plans for world domination. Um, I just happen to love history and I realize that uh, geography is a key part of history which is why I have that. And so I have A, acknowledged something that is going on in their mind and B, uh, you know, made myself a little open. I have, they know a little bit more about me and hopefully that slowly inches up that trust equation. Being open and intimate is key. We spoke to a loved educationist known for bringing about big changes in Indian education and how she's building trust in the online classroom. Uh, my name is Gauri Ishwaran. I'm an educationist. My entire life has been with school kids. And I, I've set up the Sanskriti school in Delhi. And I was fortunate to be awarded the Padmashri in 2004. You can't just go and do a virtual meeting. Like as a teacher, when I am taking a class, I know my students. And I know what is going to work for them and how am I going to engage them. I, I will not start my virtual class with a lecture. It will be a little activity, maybe a little bit of laughter. And when I end the class, it maybe I get one kid whom I know can sing, do a little ditty. You know, you have to do things like this to engage. And I think engagement on a virtual meeting is extremely important, whether it's in a professional category capacity or whether it is in a schoolroom scenario. It's no secret, Mrs. Ishwaran is a favourite among her students. And not just her students, all of us. You only have to meet her once to be completely taken in by her youthful spunkiness. Over the last year or so, I've had the privilege to call her a mentor and a coach. She masterfully built trust between us by being generous in her appreciation of my efforts, bringing us cakes and books, and balancing that with honest, forthright feedback on what I or Harappa could do better. You could say she's a natural at trust. One of the things that I always advise is start with a little anecdote. Don't straight away say, well, I am your geography teacher and today I'm going to teach you about the Indus River or whatever. Have a little anecdote about yourself. Uh, children, I find, doesn't matter whether it is uh, class kindergarten or whether it's class 12, they like to know you as a person. So even in the virtual world, and I'm sure even a professional context, it still holds good there also. So you start with a little anecdote about yourself. You can say about where you work, have a little joke. Stories are an especially powerful way to build rapport, as Ravi learned from a client. I just once asked him, you know, hey, what is it that we could do better in, in, in what we present to you? 
and he just kind of made it as a, almost like a very casual statement that you know Ravi you should focus on the story and not just trying to show every piece of information that you guys have found and i know it doesn't seem very uh, you know uh, insightful as a comment but somewhere i was maybe just prepared for it so it just hit me like a ton of bricks and i could almost like see like new in the matrix now i could see oh i was presenting data earlier and now i need to like really extract the story from the data try and be a little more in the moment then you t- then that requires a little bit of dexterity and flexibility and improv to take the conversation where it goes but to me i feel you know the uh, the combination of being prepared yet being flexible and there's a tension there right the more prepared you are the more you want to steer it to a familiar script at the same time don't forget asking them about themselves um talk about what, how do how are they facing the lockdown or how do they like online teaching would they like to come to school or would they like so have a general chat with them and you know when you chat with children or with anybody then you make a personal connect talking shop can not only get boring it's also doing nothing for your professional relationships trust is a two way street it doesn't happen with just you establishing your credibility it also needs a willingness to listen to interact and even more importantly to share something about yourself about what you're interested in about what makes you excited I find this works wonders in sales conversations for example if you're able to convey your passion and purpose at texture and detail and to say what your company name represents or what your logo means people will still do business with you on the merit of your offer and the problem it helps them solve but sharing freely helps create a bond that even signed contracts might not alone and may have some kind of a connect which is not only professional bring in something personal as well and i'm sure if i'm going if you are selling me something and i'm willing to buy i'll probably buy it if you are you know one of those people who laughs and you have something different to say instead of just telling me this is a good product buy this it's so cheap i'll give you a discount you know there's a difference i signed up for a coaching certification last month i wanted to be in a learner's shoe and take an immersive online program equally coaching is a great skill for any ceo The 16 session program is intense. Coaching is like that. It's based on trust, stories and the future. None of these are easy to fake ideas to talk about. The 33 of us in the cohort and 90 minutes of each 3 and a half hour class is spent practicing being either a coach or a coachee all online. It felt awkward and off-putting at first to share so much so quickly with people one hadn't met. I think everyone felt that way. and this group has some people with 30 plus years of work experience so it's comforting to know that nobody's been here before everyone's having trouble adjusting even your manager is freaking out if you're really in the clear the solution may be to simply communicate as much and as well as you can to lay any anxieties to rest on the other hand for managers who don't know how to trust one way is to do as iconic writer ernest hemingway once suggested the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them it's certainly a world view i work with i would rather be let down by a few people than worry about everyone being a potential culprit of my trust it saves time reduces the universe of people you need to be careful of and helps keep negativity at bay so if as a head of a team um 
you have given tasks to ten people. You have to go on the premise all ten will do it. Maybe one doesn't, but do you want to now ruin the life of all the other nine because of that one? And remember, in life, whichever team or institution, whatever you head, you are never going to have a combination of absolutely perfect staff members. There'll be some who don't need even your guidance. They're so good. There are some, no matter what you do, is not going to work. And there are others who work with guidance. So you have to learn to balance that and go along. And you have to trust your people. I don't think any leader can succeed if they don't trust their team members. You know, snooping on, checking on them, they will lose motivation. What we've learned till now is that the online medium requires you to go the extra mile with your communication skills in order to build trust. The verdict is out. Open, honest, and frequent conversation might be the single most important factor when it comes to building trust online. However, there are a few other truths to keep in mind. The science of trust doesn't change at its core. Both in my previous organizations, McKinsey and Agon's Ender, you know, we used to have this trust equation. I think you alluded to this as well, um, which is credibility, reliability, intimacy divided by self-orientation. To be credible is to be competent. How good are you at what you do? To be reliable is to follow through on your promises consistently. To be intimate or open is to share your vulnerabilities with others. And lastly, self-orientation is the inability to focus on people because you're too focused on yourself. The trust equation says this. The more credible, reliable and open you are, the more others will trust you. But the higher you score on self-orientation, the more people will distrust you. Now, imagine all variables of this equation interacting in a fourth dimension. Time. The one thing I've realized is that people want to observe you at different points in time and then, you know, form a view. I feel, so the, the point I want to make is it's a, it's a curve and not a point. Trust is based on a curve of observation, but not a single point of observation. That's why sometimes they say, you know, people need to meet you 10 times before they get comfort with you, whether it's an investor meeting and an entrepreneur or whether it's a, a, a recruiter meeting a recruitee or vice versa. Professor of Organizational Psychology at the Wharton School, Adam Grant, has been particularly vocal about the last element of a trust equation, self-orientation. He calls people high on the straight takers in his best-selling book, Give and Take. He talks about givers and takers. I don't know if you're familiar with the work, but, but for a minute, if I could take uh, 30 seconds to expand on it, he divides the world into three, right? There's givers, takers, and matchers. Givers are the people that, uh, that help others. Takers are the one that sort of, they are like leeches. They keep uh, sucking the blood out of others. And matchers are like, uh, you scratch my batch back, I scratch your back kind of people. And he says the guys who really do well uh, are the givers, the other strategic givers. He also says that if, you're, if you don't give strategically, there's a risk of you being a doormat. That's a different discussion. But I find that back to the trust equation, when you give uh, and when people smell that, I think that uh, that builds trust because they get a sense of what your intent is and how you're wired. Away from toxic takers and outside the trust equation, Rome's a perplexing friend, familiarity. One of the biggest elements of trust building is familiarity. 
we tend to trust people who are like us so we will tend to trust um if you are let's say from delhi and you are in a room full of people from different cities you would trust the person who's from delhi more than somebody who's from some other city i remember reading this or hearing in this adam grant podcast where he said the more uncommon your commonalities the stronger the feeling of trust let's say you know i have uh, a hobby of collecting old rare maps how many people would have that maybe one in a hundred if the guy you know who's talking to me also has that you know hobby then that bonding will be far stronger than maybe a bonding over saying oh we both are chartered accountants or we both are from pune or whatever right so uncommon commonality is worth to test ravi's hypothesis we ask people what makes him trust or distrust someone this is fascinating listen in i do feel i uh, have identified with one teammate more so because one we come from a similar background um of um uh, study so we both have a psychology background so that gives us more to discuss with them what worked was um just you know these informal chats on a whatsapp or maybe before or after a meeting just conversations and discovering common interests talking about things that we're feeling or liking or going through it helped us bond beyond just the work that we were doing if any random person rings up and says you know i want to like we have a zoom meeting and i want to interview you i don't necessarily agree because their trust is missing now it i have happy to talk to you because i know harappa so you know there so i can there the trust element was there but i really do not accept and speak to people who i do not know very well because i am not very sure um whether they are genuine so we like people who seem familiar even if we don't really know them at all familiarity can be deceptive because it fosters the illusion of trust it tricks people into thinking the other person is trustworthy when they may or may not be on the other hand it can elicit strong reactions from complete strangers like kindness this was an experiment that they did in in the uk um and essentially it was done with uh, football fans so these were a bunch of man u fans manchester united fans and uh, they were given a task of filling up a small survey where they were asked questions about why do they like being man u fans right so basically they were primed about their being fans and then uh, that was not the experiment the, the main experiment was they were taken from one building to another in the university campus and while they were walking they saw a jogger you know run past now the jogger was part of the research team so he was either wearing a man u t-shirt so they were wearing a neutral t-shirt or he was wearing a liverpool t-shirt and now what happened was this jogger decides to fall down and fake an injury question is what happens to these bunch of man u fans do they go and help him now if he is wearing a neutral t-shirt or a liverpool t-shirt they go and help him about 30% of the time but if he is wearing a man u t-shirt they help him 85% of the time goes up almost 3x and why because of that bond of familiarity you know oh my god he's one of our own with that we have three takeaways one that familiarity begets trust 
too, that trust is given even when the familiar recipient is a relative stranger, which makes familiarity a superficial indicator for gauging the trustworthiness of others. And three, that we may use this baffling insight to become more trustworthy by creating familiarity more meaningfully with effort and over time. How? By being more open and vulnerable, like the trust equation says. We give others more opportunities to find common ground with us or relate to us. Vulnerability is one of the most powerful ways to build trust in other people. You are telling the other person, I trust you. I trust that, you know, when I'm opening up and showing my faults, my foibles, uh, my embarrassing, you know, incidents, you won't make fun of me. Or, you know, you, you'll, you, you will empathize with me. And likewise, I will do the same to you. So, uh, yeah, I think you can do some of these elements to, to make yourself, uh, I think, more trustworthy and vulnerable to your audience. Being open has far-reaching consequences for teams working remotely. I know this has worked for us at Harappa as we've initiated several programs to speak freely to the team. Uh, you know, Google some time back had this project called Project Aristotle where they looked at effectively performing teams. And uh, when they did the study, eventually they said when they looked at great teams versus average teams versus poor teams, the one variable uh, that predicted the difference in performance it was not, you know, people's educational background, their hobbies, how often they met, etc. They, they did a regression with multiple variables. The one variable which explained this was what they called psychological safety. And when they sort of double-flicked on it to figure out what drives psychological safety, they said when people interact with each other as complete human beings. So the one thing I realize is that in the current work-from-home kind of a context or the remote work context, people, it's very easy to slip into the work self and uh, you know engage in that mode but given that people are sort of in a way dealing with these three or four things right uh, professor stuart friedman of wharton talks about four domains self work home and community um, and all of us are sort of grappling with all four concurrently earlier one could say that monday to friday you're thinking work weekends you're thinking self and community but now it's all a squishy puddle if i may use the term did they tell you this in school the problem at least in academics in our countries, we are so focused on grades and curriculum. People forget that your curriculum is a tool, it's not your master. And so you, especially nowadays, you work around your curriculum in such a way that you also bring in other aspects of the students' problems, character, values. You know, this is a time when I think it's a wonderful time for us to go back to our old values about sharing, about caring, about worrying about your neighbours, about thinking not only of yourself but others. We have thrown our values out of the window. So maybe it's, this is one way of bringing it all back again. Habits Matter is a show brought to you by Harappa Education. This episode was scripted, produced and managed by Nitin Shamsuddin, Nishan Singh and Somya Bahuguna under the editorial direction of Seema Chaudhary. Shout out to our audio engineer Madhvan Bhattacharji and our design team Subhan Kaur, Neha Nagar and Otsal Vangchuk. You can subscribe to Habits Matter on your favourite podcast channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher or wherever you like to listen. Don't forget to follow Harappa Education on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube.